0: Listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I serve as the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also teach as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's been a while since I've done a standalone podcast, but over the years, I've been asked by many about my call ministry, and it seems like God has given me a unique opportunity to share, especially with young men who sense God's call upon their life uh, to go into vocational ministry. And so what I want to do on this podcast is I just want to share that journey with you. Um, I don't often talk about myself a lot on these podcasts. It's more about theology, but I want this to be beneficial because I really think there's a lot of especially younger men out there that struggle with their call to ministry. And what is a specific call to ministry? And, and that irresistible call that God has on your life and how that sustains you through times of struggle and trials in pastoral ministry. And so what I'd like to do in this podcast is Talk first about a theology of calling and what, where we see it in the scriptures, and then just give you my story of how God sovereignly worked in my life uh, to call me into ministry. And so you may ask the question, well, what is a call to ministry? Why, why does there have to be a specific call? Why can't you just say, well, I woke up one day and I decided to be a pastor or I decided to be a, a missionary? Well, what, what's this idea of, of God specifically calling someone into the ministry well we see some biblical examples of this going all the way back to the old testament especially when you think about moses remember when moses is at the burning bush in exodus chapter 5 or exodus chapter 3 in exodus chapter 3 verses 5 through 18 god said do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God specifically calls Moses and commissions or sends him to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. God takes the initiative. Moses doesn't initiate this whole process. God calls him. God sovereignly initiates the call. And how does Moses respond? In verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's Mount Sinai. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? The famous verse here, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I observed and seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the of Egypt, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You go on to read how Moses continues to protest that he doesn't speak well, and God says, I'll be your mouth. And so you see here from Moses a prototype of a call to ministry. Moses is not seeking it. God basically shows up out of the blue, but there's a call on Moses' life for service and a promise of God to equip him, equip him for the call. So when God calls a person to ministry, God sovereignly initiates the call, but God also promises to equip the person for the call, because oftentimes, uh, the, the thing that I see a lot of times when young men, especially, are are sensing God's call to ministry. A lot of times, and this is probably evident that you are being called, is there's a sense of inadequacy, a sense of why in the world would God call me? I'm not sure about this. Uh, you, you hear stories of uh, listen to your pastor or maybe even you yourself, uh, of men that were humble they were walking with the Lord, they they seemed like the least likely candidates that God would call to ministry. The flip side is this, if you're pretty proud and pretty confident and pretty um, arrogant in your abilities and yourself and your success, and you pretty much have it all figured out, I'm not saying God can't call you, but usually there's a sense of humility and a sense of apprehension. Another example we see in the Bible is from Jeremiah, and this is an interesting one because with Moses, God called to him out of the burning bush, but in Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 5 through 8, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, "Oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Interestingly, here God calls, appoints, commissions, predestines, whatever word you want to use, Jeremiah before he's even born, when he's in the womb. And so God has that sovereign call on Jeremiah's life for specific ministry, a prophet to the nations. And what does Jeremiah say? The same thing that Moses says, God, I don't know how to speak. And this time, Jeremiah says, I'm young. They're not going to listen to me. I'm I'm a young guy that's not very eloquent. And like God said to Moses, I'll be with you. I'm sending you. You're going to speak my words. Don't be afraid. I am with you. So those are some Old Testament examples of God's sovereign call to ministry. And let me just stop here and say there is every single Christian has been effectually called through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to regenerate them. This is not what we're talking about. So so every Christian, if you're a Christian, you've been sovereignly and irresistibly called by God through the Holy Spirit the, the gospel came to you. God granted you the gifts of repentance and faith. He regenerated you from the inside out. You repented and believed. You were irresistibly called to salvation. Every single Christian has experienced that. This is an irresistible sovereign call to specific ministry. To specific ministry. Moses was specifically called to the ministry. Jeremiah was specifically called to the ministry. In the New Testament, you see Paul, the apostle, specifically called to ministry. Paul's giving his testimony before the authorities in Acts chapter 26, uh, verses 15 and 18. This is, he's recounting the road to Damascus and being blinded by the light. And this is Paul saying, "'And I said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. By faith in me. Now, Paul has a direct counter with Jesus, and Jesus says, Paul, my name is Jesus, and I'm appearing to you specifically for the purpose because I'm appointing you as a servant to the Gentiles. I am appointing you, I'm sending you. And so, Jesus sovereignly appoints, calls, commissions Paul. So, you see some narrative passages in the scriptures that describe a person's call. Now, you may say, well, those are just descriptive passages. Those don't give us any teachings on how God calls today. I mean, Moses was a specific person in redemptive history. Jeremiah was a specific person. Paul, does that happen to everybody? Is, is every pastor or minister or missionary specifically and sovereignly called like those men were? And I would say not in the same way. Obviously, you know, if, you've, if God's talked to you out of a burning bush or Jesus has approached you on a road and blinded you, then um, you, you've got a pretty dramatic calling there. But God does still irresistibly, supernaturally, inwardly call men to pastoral ministry. There is the internal call. It's one of the giftings that Jesus Himself has given to the church. And in, in Ephesians four, eleven through twelve, it says Jesus He gave, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Jesus sovereignly has gifted the church with these leaders. And one of the, 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 the lists there is the, the shepherd teacher. I can't go into this on the podcast, but when I was doing my doctoral work and, and really studying the role of a pastor, did some work in the original language there, and it really should be pastor hyphen or pastor slash or pastor dash teacher. It's, it's really one office, the pastor teacher. And so Jesus sovereignly gives that gift the person, the pastor teacher to the church. Timothy gives us the qualifications of an elder. And in 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You got some words there, aspires and desires. If anyone aspires to the office of a, a pastor, of elder, of overseer, he desires a noble, a noble task. Uh, when you look at the original language there, it really denotes the idea of a call, a burning passion that you just can't escape. And I will say this from personal experience. The call to pastoral ministry is an irresistible call. You, you really can't say no to it. If you do say no to it, you're being in disobedience. It's like the Puritans used to say that that God is the holy hound of heaven who will hunt you down. And those of you that have been called to ministry, you know this. You can't shake it. God grips you. God puts that burning passion in your heart. You just can't escape it. So there's an internal call, an irresistible internal call, where God specifically calls you to the ministry you sense it internally. Now, is that enough? Because there's a lot of people that may sense that they're called, but there has to be an extra added confirmation. There has to be the what I would call the external call or the, the confirmation or affirmation through the church body. So for example, if you personally feel called to ministry, but nobody else around you sees your giftings, nobody else around you affirms that, nobody else around you, especially your elders or your pastors or the mature people in your church, they don't see that in you, then you may want to question the call. Is it just something you thought up or something you decided you were going to do? Or did God actually confirm that internal call through the collaborative confirmation of the church family around you? Now, you may see examples of this in um, Acts chapter 13. So in Acts 13, 1-4, it's the church in Antioch where the leaders are gathering to pray. And so in Acts 13, 1-4, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the words to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed on to Cyprus. Now, this is an important passage of Scripture, because you see a lot of theological issues here. Number one, the corporate leaders of the church were meeting together for prayer and fasting and worship. It wasn't just some guy out by himself in the woods, him alone with his Bible. No, this is the corporate church gathering together for an intense period of prayer and fasting. And then the Holy Spirit's the one that said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. So the calling to the church family came directly from the Holy Spirit. So there's that internal irresistible call for Paul or Paul and Barnabas to go out and pass in, in, in church planning and missionary in their first missionary journey, but it was confirmed or affirmed through the church, to where the church leaders, at least those men that were listed there, laid their hands on them as a way of showing confirmation and sent them out. Also think about Timothy. Timothy and Titus are the two pastors in the Bible that letters were written to, the pastoral epistles. And we know a little bit more about Timothy than we do about Titus, but Paul often reminds Timothy in his letters about his call to ministry. In 1 Timothy 4:14, Paul says, "Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the Council of elders laid their hands on you. We have to infer from that that the elders of the church in Ephesus probably, or one of those early churches, the elders, they saw in Timothy a calling and a gifting to pastoral ministry, and they affirmed and confirmed that call by laying hands upon him. It wasn't just Timothy was a self-appointed pastor. You really cannot be a self-appointed pastor. Now, you are called individually by the Holy Spirit to pastoral ministry, but that has to be affirmed and confirmed and collaborated or corroborated by the church family, and especially mature men, elders, who see that gifting and that ability and that character in you. Uh, Charles Spurgeon made an interesting (laughs) comment in one of his uh, lectures. I think it's, yeah, lectures to my students. He says this, quote, It is a fearful calamity to a man to miss his calling, and to the church upon whom he imposes himself. His mistake involves an affliction of the most grievous kind. Uh, That's that's an interesting quote. It's a fearful calamity. It's a a bad thing for a man to miss his calling. Yes. If, If God calls you to pastoral ministry and you say no, and he Hound you like the holy hound of heaven, and you just can't shake it. And he comes at you and he calls you, and he just continues to put that call on your life. And you run from it and don't surrender to it. It's not a good thing. It's a, it's a Spurgeon says it's a fearful calamity. And then the other thing is if you impose yourself on a church without being called. You're not called to pastoral ministry, but you think you are, and you impose yourself on a church when you're not called. He says, this mistake involves an affliction of the most grievous kind. It's not good for you. It's not good for the church. So there some biblical scriptures there we have related to calling to pastoral ministry. Now, what I want to do is I just want to share with you uh, my story how God has called me into ministry. Now, for those of you that listen to the podcast, you may not know how old I am. Maybe you can guess. Um, I'm 48 years old. I was born in 1971 in Kansas City, Missouri. And so I really want to go back to the situation that happened with my, my dad. Because my dad is a pastor. He is a seminary Professor, he is a retired North American Mission Board missionary. Um, obviously, he's called to pastoral ministry and has spent his entire adult life in pastoral ministry. But that was not the case. My dad, uh, before I was born, when he and my mom married, my mom thought he was a Christian because he walked the or he could talk the talk. He he knew his Bible stories. Grew up in a Christian home. Uh, this was back in the 60s, and of course. Basically fooled everybody into thinking that he was a Christian, and so my mom and him got married. He became an engineer, worked a very successful job, but my dad had a major anger problem, and it was very evident that um, to my mom that he was not a believer, even though he said he was. And so, for many years, my mom's Sunday school class, a Southern Baptist church in Springfield, Missouri, began to pray diligently for my dad's salvation. And so one night in 1975, my dad woke up in a hot sweat in despair and felt totally miserable about his life. And so he got down on his knees and repented and believed in Jesus Christ and God saved him when I was about four years old. And immediately thereafter, God called him to pastoral ministry. And so he ended up going to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in the mid-70s and then graduated in, in 1977. And so during this time, I was a seminary kid uh, living there on campus with my dad and my mom and my little brother in the, in the early part of my life. Well, my dad, after he graduated from seminary... The, the one thing my parents said, because they were from Missouri, they said, Lord, take us anywhere but Texas, anywhere but Texas. And so guess where my dad's first ministry position was? It was in Greenville, Texas, First Baptist Church. So we moved there. Um, I think it was in 1978, we moved to Greenville, Texas. And I heard the gospel there through good Sunday school teachers and through the preaching of the gospel. And in 1979 is when I trusted Christ for salvation. It was um, a Sunday night. I don't even remember the worship service, but it was after church on a Sunday night. And I just was under strong conviction. I I knew I was a sinner. I knew Jesus died for my sins. I knew that if I did not repent and believe in Jesus, I would spend eternity in hell. And I was under strong conviction. And so at at the edge of my bed, I was just weeping over my sin. And my parents came in and wondered what was wrong with me. And I told them and they... Prayed with me, and that night I trusted Christ for salvation in 1979. Now, a watershed moment in my early days was in 1984. Some of you back in the day, in the eight, the group in the 80s, may remember the Disciple Now weekends. Uh, by that time, we had moved to Katy, Texas. So in 1980, we moved to Katy, Texas, which is a suburb outside of Houston. My dad was on staff at a church out there. Yeah, Kingsland Baptist Church is where he was the associate pastor, minister of education back in those days. And so um, in 1984, as a seventh grader, I attended my first Disciple Now weekend. And it was during that time that I was really challenged to to make my faith my own. talked about having a quiet time, memorizing scripture, uh, prayer, Bible study. Um, It was through that time that I really understood more about the gospel more about what the Bible said about growing in Christ, um, and, and, and I love my youth group. I was a leader in my youth group. Life was great for me in Katy, Texas. Um, in eighth grade, I was student council president. I was a leading scorer on the basketball team. I broke a bunch of records. I ran track. I had the same friends since third grade, the next year, I would be going to um, high school where I had talked with the coach, and he already guaranteed me a spot on the JV, possibly varsity, coming in as a, uh, as a freshman. And so life was good. My, my life was awesome in Katy, Texas. But then that summer, the Lord called my dad to Colorado Springs. And it was devastating for me to leave... My youth group, to leave my school, to leave my friends, and it it just rocked my world. And so when we moved to Colorado Springs for the first six months, I was miserable. I wanted to go back to Texas. I hated my parents for what they had done. I felt like they had ruined my life. I didn't want to get involved in youth group. I didn't want to do any of that type of stuff. And so it was just really a painful move well that next summer the summer of 1987 our youth group went on a mission trip to telluride colorado now if you know anything about telluride it's on the what we call the western slope of colorado it's a it's a ski town it's a mountain town and there was a young church planter out there with two really young daughters and his wife that was that was planning a church and we went out there to help him with vacation bible school and this is very important to remember. His name is Ron Clement, Ron and Diane Clement. He's the, the church planner back in 1987. And so I went on that mission trip, and we went out and did vacation Bible school in the community center in Telluride. We went door to door, doing inviting people, did, did a lot of ministry. Um, it, it was a wonderful experience. And then the very last night, we stayed in Montrose, Colorado, by the way, which is about a half an hour away, um, in Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose. And to this day, one of my good friends is the pastor over there, uh, Roland Kinnison. He's the pastor at, at Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose. But it was the last evening. We're having church group devotions. We're debriefing. And it was during that time that I just felt an overwhelming sense that God was calling me into ministry. And it was overpowering it was emotional. It was the first time that I sensed God drawing me to himself in pastoral ministry. And so I shared it with my parents, which I was a little hesitant to do because my dad, you know, being a pastor, you don't want to just go into ministry because it's the family business. Hey, my dad does it. I might as well do it. Um, and, And my dad gave me good advice. He said, listen, Sean, do not go into the ministry because I'm in the ministry. You will be absolutely miserable if you're not called. Do anything else but go into the ministry if God has not called you because you're setting yourself up for a life of heartache and pain if God has not called you to that. And so I shared it with my youth pastor, and my youth pastor was very, very helpful. Um, I can't tell you how valuable my youth pastor was because he, he helped confirm me in that call. When we got back, he discipled me and he walked me through that calling and he gave me opportunities to lead the youth group, especially I was in high school. He gave me opportunities to teach Bible studies to the middle schoolers because, you know, he understood that if I was called to the ministry, there had to be some confirmation from the church family. Um, He, as my youth pastor, needed to see that. My senior pastor needed to see that. The leaders of the church needed to see that. Uh, We had a youth-led, back then there was youth-led worship services every once in a while on Sunday night, back when churches still had Sunday night (laughs) services. And I got to preach my first sermon when I was a junior in high school. And so through that experience, I really grew to understand God's call upon my life. Then I knew that God was calling me into the ministry. And so I wanted to go down that career path of going to a Christian school and then eventually graduating from that Christian school and then going on to seminary, kind of the traditional track that Southern Baptist preacher boys went through back in the late 80s. And so um, growing up in Texas, for some strange reason, I'd always wanted to go to Baylor. I'd always wanted to go to Baylor University. And so um, I don't know why, it just Going up, and this was back in the days before it had gotten a little bit (laughs) out there as far as theologically. It was pretty much even during that time. But um, I wanted to go to Baylor University and then just thought, okay, the path is back then, you know, you go to Baylor, you get your degree in Bible, and then when you graduate from college, then you go to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. That was really the only seminary I, I knew of because, you know, everybody pretty much at that time, it was the largest of the Southern Baptist seminaries, and it was still pretty pretty conservative at that time. And so that was just the, the tra- tra- you know, career trajectory you'd go on. And so my senior year in high school, I was debating between Oklahoma Baptist University and Baylor. And I went and visited both of them. And in my heart of hearts, I knew I should have gone to OBU. I fit better at OBU. It was a better fit. I, I, I should have gone to OBU. But I fought that and went to Baylor because I felt like Baylor was more prestigious, that it would be a more prestigious, a little bit better look to my friends. Because a lot of my friends growing up in in Colorado Springs, I mean, I had the Air Force Academies there. And so I had friends that were going to the Air Force Academy. I had friends that were going to Ivy League schools. I had friends that were going to Stanford. I mean, all my friends were going to these big time colleges and universities and Air Force Academy. And so I didn't want to go to Oklahoma Baptist University um, when all of them were going to these prestigious places. So I said, well, if I still want to go to Christian school, I'll go to a, a reputable one. I'll go to Baylor. So when I went to Baylor, my first semester there, it was miserable. I absolutely hated it. It was not a good fit. It was not a good experience. And I really did some soul searching through that and thought, well, God, what are you doing here? Because I had this career path. You you called me to ministry. I thought I'd go to Baylor, then go to Southwestern. I would kind of leave Colorado and go down and live in Texas where I grew up, and this is not working out, and this is just really a bad experience. And at the same time, I was dating a girl, and uh, she was a year younger than me, and so she was still a senior in high school. I I was a freshman, and um, she, she was thinking about going to OBU herself, but she wanted to go down the path of being a, a doctor, and I remember when we were dating, telling her, you know, I feel called to ministry, and she said, well, I don't know if I can marry a pastor, so you're going to have to choose, either me or the ministry, and so that caused a rift in our relationship, and we eventually broke up, but after the first semester of my freshman year at Baylor, I came back home, kind of shattered, kind of confused, I, I wrote and talked to my youth pastor during the process, and... Um, it was interesting because on the way, my dad came out to get me um, and bring me back, drive from Baylor all the way back to Colorado Springs. And um, I remember driving through New Mexico on a really starry night. And this is about the time that Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God had just come out. And my dad had just read it. And he was really enamored with Henry Blackaby. I know there's some theological issues related to him and some mystical stuff. And I'm not going to get into that. Just for the point of the story, my dad basically, you know, kind of encouraged me with God's sovereignty and where God had placed me and just trust the sovereignty of the Lord. And so as I got back, um, I I I lived at home, and then I enrolled at University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, so the the, the CU campus there in Colorado Springs, and so that's where I, I went. And then I started getting involved in the Baptist Student Union, and it was during the Baptist Student Union that I really Grew in Christ because I was in a college ministry where I was making friends that were solidly Christian. Um, I was involved in a church um, at that time that was really vibrant and um, just really excited about my walk with the Lord. And went on mission trips down to New Mexico to the Indian reservations every spring break. Went to Martinique, a French island in the Caribbean. Got to preach a sermon in French because you know, I was fluent in French all through high school and college. And that was an interesting thing. And and then um, it was basically, I think, my junior year. After after my junior year in, in college, we went to Glorieta, which many of you know. Um, and it was student week. I think they still have student week there. But it's the collegiate week at... Um, Glorietta, where there's a week long you know conferences and speakers and things geared towards college students so and so we went down there and Glorietta has a special place in my heart. There's a particular rock boulder at Glorieta. I've been going to Glorieta New Mexico the, the, the camp down there since I was a little kid. Um, I went there when I was a youth I've taken three different youth groups there I've taken. The youth group here at Emmanuel. there with my son when he was a youth, I've gone to student week. Um, It's a special place in my heart because it's there where God has confirmed the calling on my life multiple times. And it was the last week of, one of the last nights of student week, and the campus pastor was just calling out those who, you know, basically in his message was talking about being called to ministry. And I just, again, felt that strong, overwhelming irresistible, holy hound of heaven, the Lord just pounding at my heart, confirming that call. And at that time, I wanted to be a collegiate minister, like my collegiate minister. And and sometimes I think whenever you're in the the middle of a ministry, um, especially if if God calls you as a youth, you always, you know, like, I want to be a youth pastor, like my youth pastor. When God calls you in college, you're like, I want to be a collegiate director. And so um, sometimes, you know, that does happen, but You know, ultimately God will work out the details of what type of ministry you go into. But again, God confirmed that call upon my life. Well, in 1994, I graduated from college with a degree in film and video production. Um, I did an internship at a company that did um, like training videos and things like that. A lot of my friends did internships at some of the news stations. And so I really wanted to go into film and video. Okay, so there's a period there in college when I graduated, and I got married that same, a month later to my wife Dawn. We got married in 1994. I was working retail. I started working a retail job in college. And so working retail, having a degree in film and video, and not really listening to God's call upon my life. You're newly married. You got a new degree. I was thinking, oh, I can go serve God in Hollywood by making movies. And so for the first couple years of my marriage, we had a great marriage, but I was miserable on the inside because I was running away from God's call. I was just running away from God's call. And I just wasn't in a job I liked. It was kind of a dead-end job. And so there was a point where I was really about ready to pack up and have Don and me move to L.A., to Hollywood, to try to make it as a screenwriter or director, which thankfully the Lord stopped. She stopped that because she didn't think that was wise. And so I just I felt a, ho- a hollowness. Now, during this period, my dad planted a church. And um, it was a church plant running about 90 to 100 people. We met in elementary school and i was the worship leader and so me and a bunch of the college people from the baptist union (laughs) and a couple other adult volunteers i I played guitar and led worship at my dad's church and so in some ways i was serving um, and i also you know volunteered with the youth and so we took the youth on trips and i wasn't really a youth pastor i was more of the youth sunday school teacher but i i I looked at that more as okay i'm just kind of helping my dad out here i can play the guitar i like to play the guitar i've always liked hanging out with teenagers you know, this is, this is kind of fun, but, but not really a call on my life. And in 1997, after my firstborn son, Aiden was born, my dad preached a sermon on being totally obedient to Jesus no matter what. I don't even remember the text. I don't even remember his points. All I know is that as he was preaching that message, and my dad probably had no idea how it was the Holy Spirit was going to use that to, to, to minister to my heart, but I came under the strongest conviction you can ever think of. I just knew in my heart of hearts I had been disobedient to the Lord, I'd been disobedient to that calling on my life. I had tried to pursue worldly things by going to... Be a screenwriter in Hollywood and and, and just really not leading my wife spiritually to do what God called us to do. And so on the way home, right as we left the parking lot, I began to break down and just sob as I was driving home, just uncontrollably sobbing. And I looked at my wife and said, I am so sorry. I've been so disobedient. I have not led you as the husband that needs to lead you. I was called to ministry back in 1987 at that mission trip to Telluride, and God confirmed that again at Student Week at Glorietta, and you and I kind of sort of talked about that, and And I've been so disobedient to the Lord, and I need to ask your forgiveness because I really believe that God has called me to ministry, and I need to be serious about it this time. And my wife, she said, I know, Sean, I know. I've just been waiting for you to figure that out. (laughs) And so she affirmed me so wonderfully in that, and she was patient through that. And so at that point, we're like, okay, let's... um, Let's. I, I just started a new job, actually, and we said, okay, well, all we knew at that time was, well, let's just pack up and move down to Southwestern and move down to Fort Worth and let's go to seminary down there, and so we, we'd actually thought about that, and we were going to go take a trip down there, And um, but then my dad called me one day and said, hey, Sean, do you remember Ron Clement? I'm like, Ron Clement, that name sounds familiar. He's like, you remember when you were in high school and we went on that mission trip down to tell your ride and you did vacation Bible school. Well, he was the church planner back then. I'm like, oh, yeah, where I got called to ministry. Well, my dad said, well, he's the pastor of First Baptist Church Black Forest, which is a suburb of Colorado Springs, and they're looking for a summer youth director. And I know you since God's call upon your life to ministry, because I'd share this with my dad. He goes, you know, I, I'm good friends with Ron. Maybe I can put a good word in for you. And are you interested in that? And I said, well, this is an interesting, And um, this is an interesting, um, proposition because we were thinking about moving down to Southwestern and we didn't have a job and you know it was a young couple of finances. I said well okay I, I guess I'll be op- open to this. I mean I'm not really sure what God's doing in my life. I'm trying to f- still figure this out but I'll, I'll meet with them. So in the summer of 98, 1998 um, they, they hired me. First Baptist Church of Black Forest hired me as their summer youth director. Now, here was the conditions, which I'm very glad they did that, because I was up front with them. I said, you know what? I'm still processing this call to ministry. I know God has called me, and I want to be obedient, but I'm just not quite sure what it looks like, and and so I can't tell you that I'm fully called to ministry. And Pastor Ron said, well, you know, sometimes as you serve, God confirms that call through a church family and through my mentorship, and let's just let's reevaluate after the summer. So you start at the beginning of the summer. At the end of the summer, we'll meet with the personnel committee, and and after three months, we'll evaluate you and see what we see in you, and you tell us what you see in us. So and we'll just make this a summer thing, and we won't go any further. We're just hiring you part time, and and that that'll be that. And so, as I got into the ministry position, I was. Um, Immediately, I knew that this was what God had called me to do. Um, I fell in love with those students. That church was so wonderful. And, and um, after three months, they, they both, the, the chairman of the personnel committee and Pastor Ron both said, we definitely see God's hand upon you. You, you can teach. You have an interaction with the youth. You, you fit well within our church. You're a godly young man. But we want to keep you on as part-time. Um, we're going to change it from youth director to we'll call you the youth minister the part-time youth minister. And so they hired me to be the youth minister. Well, at that time, I was still working at this job that required me to travel a lot. So I had to travel to Phoenix. I had to travel to um, different places. Um, I was doing market research for um, what's called King Supers here in Colorado. I think it's Kroger nationwide, but it was a company that did a lot of market research with scanner data that you get from the scanners at the grocery stores to help category managers and manufacturers determine where to put products and things like that. And so anyway, I was working full-time there to support my family and then part-time at the church. And so that was a very difficult period. And and, and my son Aiden was about a year old, so I'd fly every week to Phoenix, and then I'd have to come back and do Wednesday night teaching and and Sunday and and all this kind of stuff. And um, that summer... We went to what was back then called Infuge. Um, it, it was in 1999. We went to Infuge in Riverside, California, at California Baptist University, which hilariously is where my son is a, st- is, is a student now. And it was during that time that I just really sensed God was calling me like this was it. Like, no holds barred, this is what you, God is calling you to do for your life pastoral ministry, and so I shared that with my youth staff, I shared that with my youth, I came back and shared that with my pastor, and basically just said, you know, I am I feel like God's, God's doing this in my life. Well, my pastor, Pastor Ron, said, you know what, if God is calling you to be the youth pastor, then we want to bring you on full-time. We're going to vote to bring you on full-time. And so, um, that vote wasn't going to happen until probably a couple of business meetings later because things had to get in place and this was the, s- the summer of, of '98. Well, um, I got a new boss at the job I was at. The former boss had no problem with me being a, a Christian, had no problem with me being a youth pastor. He thought it was awesome that I you know did that on the side. and so um, I, w- I was faced with a crisis because the person in the in the Denver office had resigned, and this company was looking for me to relocate to Denver and to take over his position, which would mean a whole lot more pay, a little bit more prestige, and and a move. And so I'm like, what what's going on here? I mean, yeah, I like the idea of getting more money, and I have no idea if, if First Baptist Black Force is even going to you know how much they're going to offer me, what they're, what they're going what the package is going to be. How am I going to pay? You know, how am I going to do this? And so here I am again, thinking about worldly things. I got to take care of my family. I got to I got to take care of finances. And so um, I was really like just like, what's going on here? Well, then I met the new boss. So I, I, I picked him up at the airport because he had to come in. Uh, his 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 office was in Tennessee in Nashville, and so uh, he came out to to visit me. and The the first thing that he said when he walked, the first thing he said to me, did did he don't we'd only had talked on the phone or on email or whatever. First thing he said to me is he goes, "Those blankety blank Southern Baptists, I can't stand them." And I'm like, "What in the world?" He was talking about how the religious hypocrites back in Nashville and this and that, and how I don't remember the whole story, but the f- the first meeting I had with him was. I'm like, oh, wow, and I'm going to tell him that uh, I'm a uh, part-time youth pastor at a Southern Baptist church. Well, um, he wanted to to promote me and have me move and all this kind of stuff, and and basically at that same time, the church was going to have a business meeting to call me to be their their youth pastor. Now, you you know Southern Baptist Church's business meetings. You don't know what's going to happen. You kind of have a good idea. I mean, they're not going to put you up there to vote on you to be full-time if they haven't Thought through the ramifications of, of what that would mean. And so, um, but they very easily could say no. Well, we were supposed to um, go to Las Vegas for this convention with my job. And my job, this is a side note, at that time, there were a lot of party animals in that thing. And the last place I wanted to be was in Las Vegas because I would have to be gone during the time that the church was going to vote on me. And I didn't think that was right to be gone in Las Vegas on this trip when the church is voting on me where I can't be there to answer questions or whatever. So I just prayed about it, and my wife agreed with me. I I quit my secular job. I went in there and gave my two weeks notice and said, God has called me to be a youth pastor, and I'm quitting this job. (laughs) I'm not moving to Denver. I'm not going to take more money. I am going to quit. And this is before the church had voted on me. So I quit, and then that next weekend, the church voted. And they voted almost unanimously. There was one guy that didn't like it. <laughs> but they voted to bring me on full-time as youth pastor. And before this, they didn't tell me anything of what they were going to do for me. But here's how God blessed. Okay, This is, this is just the hand of God. They, the, the package, the salary package they gave me, was more than what I was going to make at that secular job with full medical benefits and they were also going to pay for my seminary. The pastor, Ron, was so concerned that I got a seminary degree that the church was going to actually pay for my seminary. And so thankfully, in Denver, just an hour up the road from where I lived, Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary had a campus, the Rocky Mountain campus of Golden Gate. So I was able to go get my Master's of Divinity at Golden Gate without leaving my ministry at First Baptist Black Forest, without leaving the state, and being able to minister and learn through a wonderful mentor and Pastor Ron, through a wonderful church in First Baptist Black Forest, and just a, a unique experience where through that process, God confirmed His call upon my life. Now, it took me a long time to get there, because of my stubbornness, because of my worldliness, because of my pride. And God just relentlessly broke my heart for him and for the ministry. And then there's another watershed moment that happened, and that was when I got my MDiv um, and graduated from Rocky Mountain Campus. I had, a, I, had, I had a friend that told me about a church Outside of Fort Collins, which is another town in Colorado, that was going to do a relaunch. They were going to do a replant, and um, I'd gotten my my MDiv. My 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 concentration was in church planning, so I was really praying about whether I wanted to be a church planner or a senior or a, a pastor of an established church. And I assessed really well as a church planner, um, and so we went up there to look at this church, and. Um, We drove up there and we kind of drove around, met people from the the mother church, the the sponsoring church, and kind of drove around the community, and we felt like this may be what God was calling us to do. Well, by this time, I I was under a new pastor at First Baptist Black Forest because Pastor Ron um, had left to go be our evangelism director at the state uh, convention of Colorado Baptists, so Dr. Bob Bender uh, was the pastor I was working under, and so um, at this time... You know, I I was still a youth pastor. I had my MDiv. Um, and I wasn't really sure about you know, being a church planner. And in the meantime, I knew that God was calling me on from being a youth pastor. So I put my resume in at Emmanuel, where I'm at now um, Emmanuel Baptist Church, because uh, Dr. Vedito, who's the director of the Rocky Mountain campus of Golden Gate, was the interim at Emmanuel, He said, hey, you should put your resume in. I'll put a good word in for you. And I thought, Emmanuel, I don't even know where Sterling, Colorado is. And I, I heard this was kind of a flagship church out here in northeastern Colorado. What would they be doing with a, a young guy like me that's inexperienced? They, they wouldn't take a chance on me. Well, I told Dr. Vedito, I said, just t- take my resume out. We're going to be going to plant this church in Fort Collins area. Just you know, tell them I'm not interested. Take my resume out. And, and, and Dr. Vedito said, Steve said, no, let's just leave it in. Well, let's leave it in. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, needless to say, we, it was time for us to, to kind of make that decision of whether we were going to pull the trigger and do this, because it would it would mean a huge salary cut, it would be be funded through North American Mission Board, and so we drove our family up to this church, and my son was about six at the time, and as we pull up to this church, and my son's never been there before, he says, Daddy, I've seen this church before, and I said, what? Where, where have you seen this church before? He says, oh yeah, in my dreams, I've seen this church in, in my dreams, and my wife and I are like, what in the world is this? So we kind of drove around the neighborhood, drove up into the canyon. There's a canyon that goes around there. And um, just kind of really weird sense. We, I usually talk a lot when I'm in the car with my wife or we're listening to music and we're, I'm bantering and you, you know I'm pretty talkative, but I didn't talk at all. And then we drove all the way back to Colorado Springs, which is about basically about a two-hour drive. And I put the kids to bed. Dawn went to bed. I went into my living room to pray. I knelt there on the bed to pray, and I just couldn't pray. I couldn't pray at all. I, I felt this heaviness. I felt almost like a demonic oppression. And then I went back to the bedroom and I laid down next to my wife and I felt this immense pressure on my chest, like just pushing down. Like definitely it was spiritual warfare. And I, I just touched her shoulder and said, Don, are you feeling what I'm feeling? She's like, Yes. Yes, I'm burdened. I call your dad. Call your dad. I'm like it's midnight. Call your dad. So I called my dad at midnight and said, Dad, I think we're experiencing spiritual warfare. He's like, oh, Okay, Sean, pray pray for us. And so, anyway, work through that whole situation. And then you know, our, our our struggle there was: is God calling us to this area, knowing that it's going to be hard, that there's going to be spiritual warfare, or is God? Protecting us from something, and this is his way of letting us know. It was it was kind of hard to process, and so my um, my dad helped me process that. I, you know, Pastor Ron is still my mentor, and so he helped me process that. And we basically just determined that God wasn't in it, and so I told my friend, "No, we're not we're not interested." And immediately when I told him that, um, it was like a huge weight lifted. Well, I hadn't thought anything about Emmanuel for very long. I thought, "Oh, wait a minute, we're kind of going on this trajectory to." to go plant a church, and I remember something about Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's another church we're looking at, and um, I called Steve. I said, Steve, Dr. Vettato, I said, is my resume still in it, Emanuel? I think you, one time you said you were going to not take it, take it out. He's like, oh yeah, your resume's still there. Um, I'm not sure what the search committee's doing, but I never took it out, so I know you're at least still under consideration. Um, so a few weeks went by, Sunday night after church, I come home, I sit down, and this is really weird. This hardly ever happens to me, and so you may think I'm a little weird, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I looked at my wife, Dawn, and I said, I bet you the phone's going to ring any minute now, and it's going to be Emmanuel Babbage Church. And she's like, What are you talking about? Emmanuel, where's Emmanuel? I said, It's up in Sterling. Sterling, where's that? Well, it's up in northeastern Colorado. I put my resume in there. I just have a feeling they're going to call tonight. And she's like, Whatever, Sean. Well, about like two seconds later, the phone rings. And I pick it up, and it's the chairman of the committee of Emanuel Baptist Church, Leroy Whipkey's He's like, um, this is Leroy Whipkey from Emanuel Baptist Church, and you're one of our top candidates for, uh, for being pastor here. Is there a way you could come out here in the next month and, and do an interview? And I was like, and so from that point forward, I've been here for 15 years, and God has definitely called me here. So that's my journey, but, but I guess I want to close with this, and this is an encouragement. When you go through tough times in pastoral ministry, and you will, there'll be times when people will leave the church. There'll be times when people you thought were in your corner will betray you. There'll be times when you have to make difficult decisions and nobody's on board. There's times where you have to fire staff. There's times where you have to address sin and do church discipline. There's times where you just feel flat when you come, you know, after you preach a sermon. Uh, just all the heartache that come with being a pastor if you're not confident that God has called you specifically to pastoral ministry and to that church, you're going to struggle. My wife and I always go back to the fact that no matter what we go through in ministry, God has called me. Anything he's called her is my pastor's wife. Pastor's wife. So our assurance that we're in God's will Our confidence to lead and to endure is because of God's call upon our life. And so, if you don't have that sense of calling, if you're unsure, it's going to be a real rocky road because the first time you have problems, you're going to want to bail. You're going to want to bail. Dr. Herschel York was my um, doctoral supervisor at Southern Seminary, he's now the dean there. He told us a story one time not necessarily a story, but he told us a st- an interesting tidbit that I've, it's kind of stuck with me. He said, most pastors, after three years, have a major crisis in their church. You know, the first year is honeymoon. Second year, you're kind of making some decisions. Third year, you, you really get into hot water because you're changing things, and, and you, you, you have a crisis. You have a major problem. And he says, most pastors bail when that problem comes. The average tenure of a pastor is about three years, so you leave. And you go to another church, and you, it's the same pattern. You, you're there for three years, and you have a crisis, and then you leave, and you go to another church. He says, really, what you should do is stay at the same church. Because usually, once you survive the first crisis and the second crisis, by then you're in your seventh year, and then you're, you've got the trust of the people. But so many pastors don't want to live through those crises to, to stick it out. Well, I've been through a lot of crises at this church. That's a whole other podcast of all the stories I can tell you about people that have left over the doctrines of grace, issues with the building of our new building and being involved in a lawsuit where subcontractors sued us and we had to take out an extra $500,000 to, to, to pay things that were supposed to be paid because we wanted to make good in our name in the community and all different types of things over the past 15 years. But the one thing that I always come back to is when I lay my head on, on my pillow at night and I pray to the Lord, it's, Lord, you've called me here. It's an irresistible, sovereign, powerful call. You're the holy hound of heaven. You hunted me down. You called me. And just like you said to Moses and just like you said to Jeremiah and just like Jesus, you said to Paul, I called you. I appointed you. I consecrated you. I commissioned you. I will be with you. I will give you the words to say, I am with you. And if you don't have that confidence, then I don't know how you survive. So if you are sensing God's call upon your life, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not sure, uh, reach out to me. I'd love to pray through this with you. I've had the opportunity to help a lot of young men over the years kind of work out their calling. Again, there's got to be that internal call that comes directly from God, the Holy Spirit, and there's got to be that external call that the confirmation, the affirmation of the church body. And then, you know, character plays into this, abilities play into this, uh, your, your ability to teach. And, and so there's a lot of things that, that flow into that. But ultimately, you really need to be obedient to God's call upon your life. Because I've seen both ways. I've seen men whom God called, and they didn't listen to the call. And they were, they were members of church, and they were miserable because they weren't where God had called them to be. Um, and I've seen other guys miss their call, and other guys question their call. And it's just, it's just one of those things that I'm very concerned as, a, as, a, as an older pastor, a seasoned pastor, that the whole issue of calling just isn't talked about much. But if you don't have that sovereign call in your life to pastoral ministry, I don't think you're going to be able to be sustained through the long haul Um, in your pastoral ministry. So hopefully this has been an encouragement to you. Again, I'd love to hear from you if you have more questions on this calling. I know this is, hopefully you don't think this podcast has been kind of self-indulgent. I felt like I've talked about myself the whole time and I hardly ever do that on a podcast, but I thought it would be edifying. I thought it'd be encouraging. Um, Hopefully it was. Again, thank you for listening. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the listeners of Understanding Christianity, the support, the encouragement. Um, I will tell you that I'm in the process of writing a new book. I won't tell you what the title is. I won't tell you what the process is, but I will tell you it's going to be about Calvinism. That's all you're going to know. So until next time, would you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus?